God's word comes to us this morning from Matthew, 20th chapter, verses 20 through 28. Then the mother of the sons of Zebedee came to him with her sons, and kneeling before him, she asked him for something. And he said to her, What do you want? And she said to him, Say to these two sons of mine, are to sit one at your right hand and one at your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, You do not know what you are asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I am to drink? They said to him, We are able. He said to them, You will drink my cup, but sit at my right hand, and at my left is not mine to grant, but it is for those of whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when they heard it, they said, They were indignant at the two brothers. And Jesus called them and said to them, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. And it shall not be so among you. But whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be the first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. We serve because we have the mind of Christ. And the mind of Christ and the actions of Christ were always to love and serve others. So we serve um, because he first served us, and that's who we are. It's our demonstration of the gospel. It's how we show the good news to other people. Even if someone isn't ready for whatever reason to come to church or to hear the full message of the gospel, everybody needs and wants to be served at the end of the day. You're thinking about how am I going to be a good steward of my time, my treasures, and my talents. And so there's definitely real immediate present needs. If you're in a community group, you're part of the church, you see other believers who run into needs, you see needs in the community, there's a lot of opportunities if you stop thinking, how can I be comfortable and how can I keep my stuff safe? When you take your time and you put it towards something and serve someone other than yourself, Mentally and spiritually, I feel it's healthier and better. What's interesting is is that some of the mental health solutions today are all about yourself, turning inward and thinking solely of yourself. And I don't think we're meant to be isolated people. One of the cores of the gospel, if we understand it, is God has done this thing for me, and so we in turn now bless those around us. God invests in us through His Son, through His Holy Spirit, through our response and our gratefulness and joy of being saved and being a part of his family, we're called to invest in the gospel amongst each other and obviously out into the world. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind when, when I think about the opportunity to serve others was during COVID when it first came out. And there was a tremendous amount of fear to the point where people were afraid to go to the grocery store. And we had a neighbor who had a special needs child. My act of service to them was pretty simple for me. I'd go to the grocery store for them. I just felt very blessed to be able to have that opportunity to serve them in that way. We had neighbors across the street. Initially, we didn't really have a relationship with them. Nothing really transpired. But several years ago, we started talking to them more and actually invited them over for uh, dinner every week. They started coming and we started getting to know each other more and it was a time when they really needed community and so knowing that 
has made it less intimidating for me because I wanted to help. My wife and I decided to welcome someone from Tanzania because I lived in that country as a refugee. We invited him and we shared food at home because uh, we remember when we came here for the first time. The first thing that you miss is uh, home food. It's not easy to find it in the, the public market. That food also, he said that since he came in America, he had never seen it. He couldn't expect to have it in America. So he was very uh, excited. Food is very interesting, especially when you share with um, a foreigner or someone from outside of the country. That time that we give to them, it's the moment that they see uh, love, care, unity, and uh, they have a chance to taste different food and meet other people. For us, we were blessed because we serve someone who appreciates what we do. From that time until now, we keep on texting, calling, and he's very excited to see someone at least who can share the culture and who speaks the language that he speaks. If you really start to live out what you're reading in the Word between being a royal priesthood, being an ambassador, thinking about who your identity is, you just start to believe in how serving other people strengthens, encourages, supports others who strengthen, encourage, and support. The other aspect of that is it's very easy to miss those opportunities where we recognize there's a person that has a need and it's easy to say, well, I'll pray for them, but to take that extra step forward and say, no, I'm not only just going to pray for them, I'm going to actually serve them as well. I believe that God is at work around me. So if he's at work around me, then where do I fit into this picture? And so for us, the decision to move over to East Iowa City into one of the poor school districts was we wanted to look for a neighborhood that was open to Jesus and there was needs that we could both physically and spiritually meet. So we moved a block away from, um, from Lucas Elementary. I was on the PTO there and involved at the school and then that led to getting to know the neighbors. We had friends all up and down the block. There's a diversity of people and of spiritual practices. We're just welcoming people, Christian, not into our home. Uh, we feel like that's a core thing is to practice hospitality and then also be willing to go to their turf. And so there's a lot of time spent talking on their front lawn and then eventually get invited into their houses. They see something that isn't pushy and uh, you get to know them and you get to find out what's important to them. And they invite you into what they're passionate about and so all of a sudden you're getting to know people at these levels. It's a great way to meet neighbors. It's a great way to meet and bless our community by lifting a hand to, to serve them. As we do that, it opens up relationships. It opens up hearts to where we can then start sharing the story with our lips. So demonstrating the gospel is just a great way to bless people. Good morning. Thank you for coming and choosing to worship with us here this morning as a family here at Grace Community Church. Uh, we'll be in Matthew chapter, uh, chapter. let's see, what chapter is this? The chapter 20. If you could turn your Bibles, that would be great. Matthew chapter 20. I want to, uh, want to start with, with the disciples here. They get a bad rap, honestly. This is James and John. Actually, their mother comes to Jesus and, and says, I, I want my two sons to sit on your right and your left as, as they rule. And, and, and they want to be great, full confessionary mode. Growing up as a kid, I wanted to be great. 
I wanted to be great. I wanted to be admired. I wanted to excel in something. I wanted to excel in athletics. I wanted to be the best. I wanted to be first. I want to be first. I want to be the best wrestler. I want to be the best football player. I want everyone to notice and say, wow, he's really great. Some of you are like, you're such a narcissist. Yeah, I know. I know. But the gospel has transformed my understanding of what it means to be great. And here's the thing. If we're going to love well, if we're going to bless, you have to want to become great. But you have to know what Jesus means by the definition of great. God has in mind for each and every one of you that you become great. Not great in your own eyes, but great in the sense that you reflect the Savior who saved you and you become a blessing to others. So what we have in this text is we have Jesus talking to his disciples. They want to be great. Now, they get a bad rap, but just so you know, just before this encounter where the scripture that John read earlier uh, where the mom says, hey, grant this request that my son sit at your right and your left. Just before that, Jesus had told all of them, he said, listen, when I return, you are going to sit on 12 thrones and you're going to rule and judge the nations. Well, now that's the context. He ju- So they're, well, which chair do I get to sit in? So it isn't out of the blue that, that this request pops up. Does that make sense? So he's told them you're going to rule. You're going to rule. You're going to judge the nations. Twelve thrones, twelve apostles. You're going to sit there and you're going to rule. And that's the context. And then, of course, the jockeying and, and they, I want to be on the right and I want to be on the left. And there's, they're, 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 they're muscling one another. They, they're elbowing one another. They're jockeying for position. They want to be great. And then Jesus says, calls them and says, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. He's not rebuking them for wanting to be great. He's helping them understand what greatness is. Whoever would be great among you must be your servant. Whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. So that's what we're looking at this morning. We're on serve. We're on serve. We've looked at, to begin with prayer, we've looked at what it means to listen to people, to understand them, to, to, to empathize with them, to enter into their world, to, to eat and have fellowship with them. And now we are on the component of serving. So I want to kind of bump through here and get to what we're going to be looking at. We're going to take a look at Jesus' example, first of all, the greatest servant of all who came not to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. We're going to take a look at the motive. Why did he serve? Why do we serve? What is our motive for serving? If we're going to be great, service is required. Service is required. So what's the motive? Then we're going to look at who do we serve? Who are the people that we serve? And then how do we serve? Now, there's not another bullet point, but we're not going to end with how. We're going to go back to the why. We're going to start with the why, we're going to end with the why, because the motive is, motive is where it's at. Motive is where it's at. So let's go to the Lord. Let's ask him to, um, to help us become great and pray that unapologetically, but making sure that we're using his definition of what it means to be great. Father, thank you for giving us your son. Thank you that he gave his life as a ransom for many. Thank you that he displayed greatness and that he emptied himself of glory and received your wrath and, and 
demonstrated his love. Father, would you help us to become like him? Father, for those that don't know you, uh, that are not in a relationship with you, I pray that you would lead them to yourself, that they would receive um, Christ as Savior. And Spirit, would you guide us in truth as we open up your word? Would you teach us? Would you help us to see, help us to apply, help us to believe? Lord, that we might become great in the sense that you are exalted in our very lives. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, first of all, Jesus' example. This is the Last Supper. This is the last moment that Jesus has with his disciples before he goes to the cross. Now, it's not on the, on the PowerPoint, but verse 1 and 2, I want to read them for you. It was just before the Passover feast. Jesus knew that the time had come for him to leave this world and go to the Father. Verse 2, Having loved his own who were in the world, he now showed them the full extent of his love. Now catch that. Having loved those who he's with, now he's showing them the full extent. He's going all in. And this is the context. He's showing them, he's showing them as love, the full extent of his love. Now, that's where we pick it up. Take a look at verse 3. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things to his hands, that he had come from God and was going back to God, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. So that's, that's the example. He's loving them to the fullest extent and he shows them the extent of his love. And so he stands, he takes off his robe, he takes a basin of water and he begins to wipe their feet. Now, how many of you have practiced hospitality over the last month? You've had somebody over to your home. Anybody? Okay. Well, you're paying attention to the last, last sermon. You're right in track. How many of you, as your guests entered the home, took their shoes off, knelt at their feet and scrubbed their feet with a bristle brush? Any of you? Any of you? Now, if you come from a Mennonite or Amish community, you may practice foot washing still in your church services. That's not an uncommon thing. But no one does this in, in, in homes. I shouldn't say no one. This is rarely done in our homes. It's contextually not relevant anymore. In Jesus' day, they walked around with sandals or bare feet, and their sewers were not underground like ours. Their sewers ran through. They just you know, you threw a bucket out into the street. And so you would literally walk through filth, through garbage. And so your feet were disgusting. So when you came to someone's home, if they had a slave or if they had a servant, and if not a servant, whoever is on the lowest rung of the social strata, those individuals would be the ones to wash feet. Now, Jesus flips everything on its head. He's the guest of honor. He's the greatest. And he's the one who actually begins to wash the disciples' feet. Now, it's not shown here in the text, but in verse 6, 7, 8, and 9, how does Peter respond to Jesus' gesture that he wants to wash his feet? What's Peter say? Anybody remember? May it not be so. No, no, that's, that's, that's beneath you. That's beneath you. You will never wash my feet. And Jesus' response, of course, is, Peter, if I don't wash your feet, you have no part in me. And then Peter, being Peter, says, well, then not just my feet, my whole body. Because he's Peter. And Jesus says, Peter, you're already clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. 
And that's where we pick it up here. He washes their feet, and then Jesus says in verse 15, For I have given you an example. I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. Truly I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you who do them. So here's the thing. It is not a vain, narcissistic reality for you to want to be great, provided you understand what greatness is. If you're a follower of Christ, he wants you to be great. He wants me to be great. That does not mean that I come in first as I cross the finish line, but it does mean that I, that I take the role of a servant, I kneel, and I seek to wash the feet of those around me. Being great means that I become, that you become, that we become servants. We follow his example. Greatness is required if we're going to follow Jesus, but that requires that we use his definition of greatness. And greatness requires that we become servants, that we become servants. So that's the example. That's the example. Now, of course, this is the prelude to the greatest act of service, which takes place the following day after he gives his life as a ransom for many. So here he's literally washing the filth off of their feet. Within 24 hours, he will have washed the filth from their souls using his own blood as a cleansing agent. That's how he chooses to serve humanity. So that's the example. And we are called to do likewise, not to give our life as a ransom for many. That's, that's a one and done thing. That's Jesus' role. But we are called to serve in the same way that he served. Now we're going to move on to the question of motive. So all of us serve in some degree, in some capacity. All of us serve from time to time. The question is why? Why? Why do we serve? Motives matter. Why do you serve? I want you to think about the last time you served someone. Okay, do you have that in your mind? I want you to answer to yourself, silent in your head, why? What was your motive? Why did you serve them? Maybe you, maybe you were here in the first service and you served in the nursery. Why did you serve in the nursery? For what reason? Well, because Cindy caught me after service and she, she gave me this song and dance about, you know what, we don't have any volunteers and we really need, and I felt guilty. So your motive was guilt. So we serve for all sorts of different motives. So we're going to take a look at some motives here, some of which, all of which, are not valid or not good motives, and then we're going to take a look at the the one that is good. So first of all, love for self. You can serve other people out of a love for yourself. Now that looks two different ways. First of all, quid pro quo. In other words, you serve and there are strings attached. What does that mean? You serve, but there's an angle to your service. You're serving because you expect later to call on them and expect a certain service to be returned. That's quid pro quo. It's the Godfather. Some of you have seen the Godfather. The guy comes to him and he wants him to do a favor. And then Marlon Brando says, at some point in time in the future, we may call upon you for a certain favor. It's quid pro quo. I'll serve you. I'll serve you. I'll help you. But I'm going to come back around and my service is going to require payment. Not now, but later. That's quid pro quo. That's 
what it means. There's strings attached to your service. Now, there's another way that you serve, and the motive is the love of self, but there's not strings attached, but there is a selfie attached. This is an Instagram service. This is, I serve because it makes me feel good about myself. Now, what's the motive in that case? Self. So this is, this is the person that goes on the short-term mission trip and gets all the little poor kids around him and, and takes the picture and puts it on Facebook, which I have done, and I'm ashamed to admit. When I wrote this sermon, I thought, well, that's, you should put that picture of you up in South Africa. It'd be perfect. <laughs> it's hideous to think about it. I actually put that on Facebook. And there's my reward. My 15 seconds of fame. Oh, good for you. You went on a South African missions trip. And look at all those poor little kids that were blessed by your awesome presence. It's embarrassing for me to say that. But I've done that. We do that from time to time. We serve because the motive is, you know, I'll just feel better about myself. It makes me feel good. By the way, it's not wrong to feel good, but what's the motive here? The motive is still about self. The motive is still about self. So love for self. There's also love for mission. Some of you are like, wait a minute. How could love for mission be a bad motive? Follow me here. The love for mission is the love for the cause, whatever the cause is. The cause could be anything. Whatever it is you're passionate about serving. There are lots of people in the world that are very passionate about what they do. There's a cause. You want to feed the hungry. You want to, you want to take care of the homeless. You want to get them into shelters. You want, to, you want people to come to know Jesus. You want them to be saved. So the motive is for them to, quote-unquote, be saved, for them to be fed. In other words, the motive is the mission. Now, what's the problem if the motive is mission? Some of you are like, I don't know. I can't figure out what's wrong with that. Here's the problem with that. Whoever you're serving is now your project. They're not a human being. You've taken their dignity from them. Your goal is to get them from point A to point B. Not to love them unconditionally. What if they don't want your Jesus? Are you going to, whoop, I'm done. What if they don't want your service? If they don't want your service, well, then you cease to serve. But the mission's not bad, but that can't be the ultimate motive. If the ultimate motive is the mission, you will treat people like projects, not human beings. Jesus, in John chapter 13, did not serve them as a means to an end to get them to follow him. There's one amongst the 12 who was going to betray him that night. And do you know what? His feet were dirty and Jesus washed them. Don't don't miss that. He knew full well that Judas was going to take those clean feet and march right out of that room and betray him. His motive for washing his feet was not to get him to follow him. He knew he was not going to. You see that? Now, if his motive is purely getting Judas to follow him, then he's not going to wash his feet. He knows full well that Judas is going to betray him. So our motive, by the way, it's not wrong to love the mission. But it can't be the primary motive. Love of God. 
Now, notice, love of God. Words matter, love of God. There's two ways to look at this. One is toxic. And one is absolutely foundational and biblical. And sometimes they're hard to separate. And sometimes we, we, we kind of ebb and flow. We wax and wane into toxicity and to health, depending on the day. So let's, let's think this through. When I say love of God, let's first of all take a look at my love, the love of God as a, as a bad motive in the sense that I serve to earn lo- God's love. In other words, I'm serving so I can get the love of God. Does that make sense? So I don't have it right now. I don't think I have it, but I'm going to serve so I can get it. Does that make sense? That's the, I'm serving for the love of God. I want God's love, so I'm going to serve. If you serve so that God will love you, you'll never know if you've done enough. Or worse, you'll serve and think, I've done enough. And you will think that you have earned God's love. Now, if you've been coming to grace, you've heard that that is the law, that is not the gospel. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, we are saved by grace through faith, not of works so that no one can boast. Now, we can all recite that, many of us, in our sleep. We're justified by faith, not by works. And yet, how many of you know that God loves you? You don't have to raise your hand on the next question. Just think about it. How many of you are not sure that he likes you? You know that he has to love you. You know, God so loved the world, John three sixteen. It's in the Bible. But you're pretty sure on any given day he wants to just backhand you. Like you just, you just you just think of the, you think of God like I haven't served, I haven't loved well, I'm just a screw up, I just never get anything right. He can't possibly like me, and so you think to yourself on a good day, I feel like he loves me, he likes me. On a bad day, I think I need to clean up my act and get my stuff together. So then, does anybody relate to that? You're serving so you can earn God's love. That's not the gospel. That's not the gospel. It's toxic. If you serve and you think that that's the basis of God's love for you, then you think you're, you merit his love. Or if you, you're not doing good enough, you're constantly feeling terrible and you think that God just wants to stomp on you, even though technically you know you're justified in Christ, whatever that means to you. That's, that love of God is not a good thing. It's not the gospel. There is a love of God that is the gospel. I serve in response to the love of God. That's the gospel. So Paul puts it this way. After 11 chapters in the book of Romans, the first 11 chapters are Paul saying, listen, here's what the gospel is. You want to really understand what the gospel is, and you want to dig deep, study the book of Romans. And then in the first verse of the 12th chapter, he gives the first command to do something. To do something. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, 
In other words, the basis by which I'm asking you to do what I'm going to ask you to do next is because of God's mercy, not anything you have done, which he's already explained for the first 11 chapters of the book of Romans. In other words, on the basis of God's love for you and what he's done for you that you can't repay, on that basis, on the basis of his mercy, I appeal to you to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship, the ESV says. That word worship can be translated service. In the NIV, it translates that, which is your reasonable act of service. So what is Paul saying? Your motive for service is worship. Your worship is service. You say, well, wait a minute, wait a minute. Worship is what we do before you get up to preach. Yes, but no. That's called praise, which is a very narrow form of worship. I'm worshiping right now as I teach. There are people in the nursery right now that are wiping poop off of babies' butts and they are worshiping. Their act of service is an act of worship. And whether you do that in a nursery on the other side of the church or whether you do that in a, in a changing table next to a crib in the middle of the night, it is worship. When you serve anyone in the name of Christ, it is worship. And the motive for that is not to get something you don't have. It's to respond in thanksgiving to what you do have, which is God's love if you are in Christ. So I'll ask it again. On a bad day, does God like you? Some of you are like, I still can't say yes. <laughs> well, you have the rest of your life to get to know your gentle and lowly Savior who delights in you, his child. That's the gospel. And your response to his delight is worship, i.e., any form of service. So that's the why. Okay, let's move on to the who. Who do you serve? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. In other words, serve the Lord and your neighbor as yourself. Ah, but there's a loophole. Who exactly is my neighbor? That's the wrong question. That's the question that Jesus gives the parable of the, of the, of the Good Samaritan to, to show that that is a, it's a fallacy to approach it from that angle. The wrong question is, who is my neighbor? The right question is, who should I be a neighbor to? And at the end of the, of the uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, Jesus says, which of these three, the Levite, the priest, and the Good Samaritan, which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And he said, well, the one who showed him mercy. Jesus said, oh, there you go. You go and you go do likewise. So the answer to the question is, who do you serve is whoever has a need. Whoever is around you that has a need that you're in a position where you can actually take care of that need. That, that answers the question. You say, well, I can't serve everybody. No, you can't. Start in, start in the vicinity of 
when, you, when it says, love the Lord your God, your heart, all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors as yourself, you start with those who are literally closest to you, your family. You could begin serving by serving your family, your spouse, your children, your siblings, your roommate, your, your literal neighbors, the people that you, you don't know their name because you've never, I mean, you'll wave at one another, but you've never asked who their name is. So it's, you can start there. Or here's a crazy idea. Serve the people that you work with. You say, well, that's different. I get paid to do that. Yes, but you can go above and beyond. You can serve them as human beings, as an act of worship. See, there's a, the, I think Christians by and large think that, that after they leave work, that's when they become Christians and do Christiany things, right? No, there's, there's no break. So wherever you work, wherever you draw a paycheck and you, you, or whether you're self-employed or you employ others or, or whatever it is you do, serve, serve those people that you work with, your customers or your coworkers, serve them, serve them. Those are your neighbors. And then of course, your enemies as well. So, well, I don't like my enemies. Since when is that even relevant? That's not, that's not relevant. Jesus didn't have warm, glowing feelings for the people that were driving spikes into his wrists. Yet he said, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He expressed his love towards them. And some of those individuals became his followers. His children. That's what love is. That's what love does. So how, how, how do we serve? Well, with excellence. The scripture here is Colossians chapter three, verse 17. Whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Now, what, do, what encompasses whatever you do? Everything you do. There's nothing that's not in that parenthetical bracket whether you are changing diapers, whether you are, in my case, preaching sermons, whether you are fixing a meal for your family or your neighbors, or whether you are delivering newspapers, it doesn't matter whether you're a butcher, baker, candlestick maker, whatever you do, do it in the name of the Lord. And that means you do it with excellence. Wherever you work and draw a paycheck, please, for the love of God, literally, do it with excellence. There is no, no excuse for Christians in the marketplace doing crappy work. So, well, it's good enough for who it's for. Time out. Good enough for who it's for. Who's it for? It's for the Lord. You say, well, he's not writing my paycheck. Yes, he is. Everything that we receive is ultimately from him. He doesn't necessarily sign the paycheck, but it's his provision. And those people that you are serving in customer service or whatever your job is, they are created in his image. And your work reflects his greatness. His greatness. We have an opportunity. See, some people, they narrowly define Christian service as, well, working inside the church on Sunday morning. Yes, it includes that, but it's, Whatever you do, whatever you do, do it with excellence. Do it with excellence. See, well, I don't even know where to start. Well, the series, bless, what do we begin with? 
Begin with prayer. Ask the Lord, Lord, I want to be great in the, in the way that you define greatness. I want to become a servant. I don't know where to serve. Start praying, Lord, show me. Here's what the scripture says. Paul says in Romans chapter 12, verse 3, he says, don't, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think, but think of yourself in accordance with sober judgment, according to the measure of grace that God has given you. If your gift is serving, we'll serve with zeal. If your gift is giving, we'll give with generosity. If your gift is teaching, then teach. If your gift is hospitality, then be hospitable. In other words, God's given to each and every one of us gifts or multiple gifts, and he says, you should Pray, you should ask the Lord, and then you should use those. It's, well, how do I find out what my gift is? What's the second letter in the acronym? Listen. If you start praying and you say, Lord, I want to serve, then just be quiet and listen. And here's what the Lord will do. He'll open your eyes and show you needs. He'll show you needs within the church. He'll show you needs within your family. He'll show you needs within your workplace. He'll show you needs within the community. He'll show you needs within the, wor- within the world that you are uniquely equipped at this time and place to take a step of faith and actually use your time, your talent, your treasure to serve to meet that need. But you've got to listen. Here's the elephant in the room. We're going to shoot the elephant. They're going to skin the elephant. We're going to eat the elephant. Here's the elephant in the room in the Western church. The Western church is by and large a consumer church. Would you agree with that statement? Okay, now what do we mean by that? When we say the Western church is a consumer church, they believe that church is a place you come to where you passively sit. Maybe you sing for three songs. Maybe. By the way, you're getting a lot better. I had this conversation with Zach, and it's like we've... We've noticed that people are singing more and more. There's more, a greater percentage of people that are actually singing. So, so there's, there's that. That's good. But by and large, the church in the West is a, is, a, is a place people go to to listen passively. They don't see church as a, as a body of believers that serves each other and the community they live in. So our goal is to, is to see that cultural shift take place. Now, that requires the work of the Spirit requires the work of the Spirit and us to respond to the gospel. Now, one of the ways that we're going to do that, we're going to provide stepping stones. I'm going to end a little bit early. Shock, I know. But we're going to be able to go across the, the, the foyer into the gym where we have a volunteer fair. Some of you are like, that is so manipulative that you would have a volunteer fair on the day that you are preaching on serving. Yeah, well, you know, roll with it. That's just the way it is. So seriously though, if you don't know where to start, sometimes it's helpful for someone to lay out and say, you could start here. Here's some needs that maybe you didn't know about. Maybe you didn't know about. So take advantage of that. But before we end, I want to end not on the how do we serve, but I want to end on back to the why. Back to the why. Take a look at this verse in Colossians that comes right before the whatever you do. Do it as under the Lord. Take a look at what Paul says here. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Full stop. Stop. Who? Who does he say we are? What's the text say? Chosen ones. On the basis of what? His choice. His love. His choice is not based on anything you and I have done. Paul says in Ephesians chapter 1 that you were chosen in him before the foundations of the world were 
laid before you'd done anything good or bad. The basis of his choice for you has nothing to do with service rendered for him, past, present, or future. It has everything to do with his initiative, his purpose, and his love. So why did he love us? Don't know. He just did. And he demonstrated his love for us on the cross. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved. Your status is holy, set apart unto God and beloved. I don't feel loved. Doesn't matter how you feel. If you are in Christ, you are his child and you are deeply loved. You say, well, Brooks, you don't know what I did last week. He does. And you know what he did 2,000 years ago? He took that on the cross and separated as far as the east is from the west and he has given you his spirit and he has called you beloved and he has called you holy. Because of that, put on compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if you have a complaint against somebody, forgive them. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you must also forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. It begins with our motive, which is the love of God expressed for us in what he has done for us on the cross. And it ends with the very same thing. The gospel is the beginning of your Christian journey. It is the middle of your Christian journey. And it will carry you through to the end when you are with him in glory. It is the A, B, C's and the A to Z. It's everything in between. So in worship, respond to the love of God. Just a moment, I'm going to pray and you can head across the gym. A couple of announcements. We are going to two services. If you've been here for a couple of weeks, you've seen this announcement again and again. Starting June 12th, 9 a.m. and 10.45. Also, next week, because of Memorial Day, we are having families sit together. We're giving the teachers a break. So all the kids from three up, we still have a nursery. We, and we need nursery workers, by the way, hence the volunteer fair. Uh, we will have a family sit together. And then starting June 5th, that will be K through 6th grade. So there won't be any Sunday school classes for the kids, K through 6. It'll be family sit together all through the summer. We do that to give our teachers a break. So encourage you to take advantage of that. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, thank you for your grace. We thank you for your mercy. Thank you that, Lord, you have taken the form of a servant. You have given your life for us. And Lord, you have taken our sins. You have forgiven them. You've given us your righteousness. Lord, in worship, help us to respond, not to earn your love, but because we've received it. Lord, help us to be a blessing to other people. Lord, we pray for greatness, not the kind of greatness that the world applauds, but the kind of greatness which models your example for us. To take a towel and to wash feet humbly as a servant. Lord, help us to become your people who model you and your grace well. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. God bless, go in grace, and we will see you next week.